This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. This episode of FYI All Things Mental Wellness is powered by the amazing team at Border Carpets. Check them out at bordercarpets.com.au. We really appreciate your support, guys. And without any further ado, let's jump into the podcast. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to FYI. Our guest today is an amazing woman. She is the fourth oldest in a family of 10 and is a mother to three beautiful girls. In her spare time, she loves to cook, exercise and spend time with family and friends. However, today she is going to share with us her journey living with a child with a diagnosed eating disorder. She has shown determination and fight that will blow your mind in order to assist her daughter through some of the most challenging periods you could imagine. Unfortunately, it's a common story as 1 in 20 people in Australia live with an eating disorder. Terry ann Hicks, welcome to FYI. Hi, how are you? Fantastic. Nadia? Hey, terry ann how are you? Good. That's good. Thank you for coming. I had a bit of a chuckle because she goes, she loves to cook and exercise straight after one another. <laughs> they don't really go well, together. Well, maybe wait 20 minutes for <laughs> everything to settle. No, thank you so much for coming. And, and as, as Dave said in his intro, you're obviously here to have a chat to us about parenting your eldest daughter of, of three, Geordie, with her eating disorder. When did things start to, to look a little bit abnormal, I guess, if that's the right word? So a little bit of context, she was diagnosed with bowel disease in year seven, so 2016. Yep. And with that, she was on a lot of medication, was on steroids. So looking back, she probably developed the disordered eating around 2017. We didn't pick anything up until 2020 when I first mentioned it to doctors at Royal Children's where she was for a flare-up and stuff, they sort of dismissed it and just put it down to the bowel disease. And then she ended up in hospital in September 2020 and she'd sort of lost 10 kilos over a really short period of time and she was she was really unwell. She was very thin, just refused to eat, exercising a lot. So she was diagnosed in the September as having anorexia nervosa with purging. So, so you know, you, you mentioned her bowel disease. What correlation or what started because of the bowel disease that sort of went with her eating disorder, do you think? Well, she has certain foods that sort of upset yep. and will flare up her bowel yeah, disease. Sure. But it was probably having to be on the steroids and they do make you put on weight and yep. everyone likes yep. to mention if someone puts on weight or loses weight yep. and she's a 14-year-old kid and they were comments that were made to her quite often. So 
Yeah, probably 2017, she started that restrictive eating. 2020, though, she was keeping the detailed diary. She was exercising all the time. She was counting every calorie she ate. Yeah. It snowballed really, really quickly. Mm. So fast forward, she was in hospital in 2020. Lost weight very, Mm -hmm. very quickly. What happened then? I didn't think that she was having a flare-up. It just wasn't a typical flare-up of her bowel disease. And there was a paid reg who was visiting. I'm pretty sure she was from Sydney. And I said to her, I actually think she has anorexia. And she said to me, we are so glad you said that because that's what we're thinking. But a lot of parents find it really hard to hear that. Mm. So... And then it, from there, it wasn't a great start. We were discharged from the hospital with sort of not much of a plan. We were told to weigh her at home twice a week. And if she lost any weight, we had to take her back to hospital. And she was on like Fortisips, which is a supplement drink. Probably six weeks after her diagnosis, she had a suicide attempt And from that was when, after that, was when we got a lot of help. So initially there wasn't much support for you in the early days outside of the hospitals? No. So, yeah, so we were weighing weighing her ourselves twice a week. We were put in touch with NECAMS. I think we'd spoken to... The counsellor at NECAMS once before. What's NECAMS for us that may um, not know? North East Child right. and Adolescent Mental Health. Yep, yep. Great yep. service, but really overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah. Like everywhere is with. Yep. Under-resourced. Yep. 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 Especially out in yeah, small country towns. towns. Yep. yep. So... You weighed her. There was obviously a decline, so you reported that in. You are put into NECAMS. What was the process then? What, was there support then? Like you said, I think you just said you were assigned to counsellor. Yeah, and we didn't get to start any of the counselling before she attempted to take a life. Um, Why not? I guess it was um, – I just think it was her. They just didn't have enough people. They just didn't have, I feel it's probably an area that's still really misunderstood and not a lot of time and money is given to it because there's so much shame and stigma attached to it. That's that's what I believe. Mm. So you were given an appointment but it was for some time in the future and sent home. Yep. And then you continued the weighing and mm-hmm. what else? Any any other help in between other than what you and your husband and, and family did, just keeping an eye on her? And yeah. We were, yeah, way out of our depth. Yeah, <laughs> of course. You're not born knowing these things. You're not educated in the in the area. That that must just be so, so hard. It's a shame there's, there's not enough support until it's too late. It's all where's the... The in-between ground. And we're um, really fortunate that we're, we're not one of those statistics where mm. 
it was too late. I, mm. You know, it was Geordie had an attempt on her life, but we were lucky enough that I found her. There's a lot of families that aren't that lucky. Mm. What changed? What what changed as far as the services are concerned? So we had, um, a well, her paediatrician and her counsellor came to the hospital when she was put in hospital and from there it was it was pretty full on. So we'd have a dietitian appointment every week, a GP appointment every week, we'd have bloods every week, counselling or FBT it's called, which is family-based therapy every week. Simon and I would do a counselling every week. We'd see the P once a fortnight. Wow. <laughs> You've gone from nothing, mm-hmm. take your child home, weigh her to overwhelmed with yeah. support and services, and which yeah. is great. Mm-hmm. But, geez, that's, that's bloody ang- – that just makes me so damn angry that there all, needs- all at the same time, Geordie's got younger siblings as well, mm-hmm. living, trying to yeah. be parents for them and – how did how did the household um, stumble its way through those those that period of time after the suicide attempt? Yeah, so we sort of well, Mia, she's the middle child. She's old enough, and her and Jordy are really really close. So she's old enough to know what was going on. Mm. Lexi was six at the time, so obviously, mm. you know, we're not a family that keeps things from each other. But there's age appropriateness too. Mm. So she wouldn't have any idea about sort of the suicide attempt and stuff, but she was definitely exposed to the eating disorder and um, how'd we stumble through? We just did. Yeah, (laughs) being being exposed to more than what most six-year-old children. Yeah, but she, um, I mean, I guess it it definitely made us a stronger and closer family. Mm. Like when you go through something like that, you know, we Simon and I said at the start, and I think I'd said to you guys probably what got us through was that we said at the start we were never going to keep it a secret. We didn't want Geordie having anorexia to be a secret because anorexia feeds off that shame and guilt and silence and we didn't want our little 17-year-old to feel any more shame than she did. Mm. And I feel that... Family's really important recovering from any mental illness. And I wanted everyone to wrap their arms around her so she knew how loved she was and give her a reason to hang on. Mm. So true. So true. And I think, you know, some some do get that part wrong. There's no right or wrong, but, yeah, I agree. There's enough shame in any any form of illness in particular mental illness and in particular as a 17 year old that yeah the last thing you want is is to hide it and yeah good move obviously and and that's something that jordan embraced as well no she did say to me recently that she hated hated that we had told everyone now that she looks back on it Mm. she really appreciates it she feels she probably wouldn't have recovered yep. as quickly if we kept it a secret. Yeah. So, But 
that's good that she can look at that now in in probably a better mindset as well and and realize that it was the best thing for her and absolutely it would be you'd be devastated at 17 you'd, you'd want to keep it a secret I could only imagine yep so yeah Dave asked oh, I'm I'm intrigued at at how the family got through because I I haven't had any exposure to to this. Um, so, how did day to day look? Let Let's talk post. So she's she's getting help. You, you know what you're doing, so to speak, because you're seeing the professionals in the right field. So, what what's home look like? How do you you wake up and ha- how do you navigate meal times and things like that that are clearly a trigger? Yeah. So, fortunately. We were all at home because of COVID anyway. Simon was still going to work, but I was working from home. The kids were school doing school from home. So it probably made it a little bit easier to navigate it. But mm. we would do breakfast at the same time. It was like having a newborn baby, mm. but this child's 17. Because mm. the FBT, what they do with people with an eating disorder now, they try to refeed the focus is on refeeding the person and then working with the mental illness because there's you know it's really hard to treat a mental illness if you've got a starved brain mm-hmm. so you know the focus is on on refeeding and getting these kids or people to some sort of stable weight before they do any work on anything else yep so George wasn't allowed to prepare any of her food and she loves cooking and loves so it's yeah that was really hard for her she wasn't allowed to prepare her food we'd have breakfast at sort of eight o'clock every day and that could go some days it'd be over and done with really quick sometimes we could still be sitting there at lunchtime getting her to try and eat because we weren't allowed to negotiate with the anorexia and it's tough sitting there. Your, your child is so fearful of food and mm. you're making them eat and you can see how distressing it is. But you also know you're doing the right thing by making them do it. So it's um, so we'd have breakfast. She'd have to have so, – Sorry, Terrian. So the other kids are sitting there as well yeah. with you and, and Geordie and yeah. waiting for Geordie to get through a fit. Yeah, wow. They wouldn't sit there the whole time, um, but we've always – even yeah. now we still have our dinner together yeah. and stuff. I feel that's a really important time for families to – around the dinner table we sit there and chat. So she'd have to have her six meals a day, so her three main meals – and morning tea, afternoon tea, and supper. So six meals a day. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I don't eat that much. I know. Mm. And That's heaven for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot for both. Yeah, not um, not easy to mm. get a child with, well, a person with anorexia to eat six mm. meals a day. And anorexia is really, or Anna is what Geordie would call it. And you have to separate the anorexia from your child. You know this isn't your child when they're screaming abuse at you and just completely losing it. You know it's not your child, but it's so insidious and it just overtakes everything. Yeah, so mealtimes were horrendous, horrible. I think the longest we sat there one day was about six hours. For all the um, for all the parents that are going to be listening to this, what were some of the 
coaching mechanisms or how did you deal with all this? Like I, I can't even begin mm-hmm. to imagine it would be like fighting two constant battles and you always having to be the brave face and the and the the nurturer when I would imagine you'd be feeling that you would need to be nurtured most of the time as well. Like I said, like I've always been open with my kids, but I think going through all this has probably allowed me to be more vulnerable in front of them. Like even as adults, how hard is it to see your parents upset? Like Mm. you have this thing, oh, shit, things are bad if my parents are upset. So I think think it allowed me to do – I I just didn't hide anything. Be real. We would just – we had to be real. Mm -hmm. It was – we're all in it together, me, Simon, Geordie, Mia and Lexi. Like there was – there was no getting away from it. There was no – and after – she had to be supervised all the time so she didn't go and vomit. So there wasn't – and after the suicide attempt, we had to supervise her her showering. We had to supervise her eating. She had to sleep with me. Like it was 24-7. There's no – you don't get a break from it. You just you needed to be a family unit, really. Yeah, like you, you, that would be so tough. And I imagine there's people that do need to do that alone. They're the, they're the sole parent, and there may not be any other siblings. So, you know, I'm not saying you're fortunate at all. One hundred percent. But, but we you are, are fortunate that you you had a, a husband and kids, mm. and and everyone was on the same same path. So after the, yeah, and in 2021, Christmas 2020 was really, really triggering Christmas. She'd sort of got a little bit stable between October and Christmas. Christmas is all about food Mm -hmm. and celebrating and she went down again. And then Simon's parents would take her for a meal once a week because that's all Mia and Lexi would want just to eat one meal in peace Mm. and quiet that was they still say that now when we look back on it they say we just wanted to eat dinner Mm. in quiet like here we've got Jordan yelling and carrying on for six hours (laughs) yeah that's tough so that we had you know back to some people do do it alone and we are so blessed that we didn't we didn't have to do that 100 and that sounds bizarre when this is what we've gone through with our child. But we had each other, we had our other children, we had Simon's parents, we had Simon's brothers and our sister-in-laws who were such a support to me. Mm. Were you and Simon coached at all by any any people or staff at hospitals or doctors or? So we have a brilliant, brilliant GP, which I think is absolutely key mm. to mm. anyone with an eating disorder. I think if you're can get a great GP, and I'm not going to say his name because he's already hard enough to get into. (laughs) (laughs) If you can have a good GP and someone that will listen, I think that was key. We were given some stuff to read. This was before October. I didn't read any of it because as with anything, parent forums and any sort of forum, I feel you're always going to read the worst of the worst. Mm. There's always going to, people are going to get online and you're going to read every single horror story possible. And I didn't want to be in that headspace because I knew if I was in that headspace, I wasn't going to be able to help her. Mm. Yeah. So we had counselling. We did our family therapy on a Friday and then Simon and I would have counselling on a Monday. 
and we yep. just sort of go over what strategies we could use, what wasn't working because the family, the the whole family sessions, they were pretty, mm. pretty heated. It was pretty full on. Just the three of you? The first one were all involved wow. um, and she had to eat in that. Wow. And yeah, that was not great. Wow. <laughs> How long did that go for? The session, I think we were there for two and a half hours and I think she ate like two chips. Wow. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we had that that counselling. Had to deal with so so much. Like it's just mm. not only the suicide attempt of a child and then the ongoing after that, the, mm. the, the disease, the, the demon that still hung around. Mm. Like it wasn't just pick yourself up and – and move on it was ongoing and yeah and probably always will be yeah yeah you know it's not she's in recovery at the moment but at any time she can relapse you know you don't just go oh it's gone now mm. of course you know it's of just course. I, I i personally think that about most conditions you yeah. know you, you, you get better i don't think you ever overcome you know, you learn oh, yeah. you learn strategies to cope with correct. it. Correct, correct. It's like cancer, isn't it? Six yep. six year appointments, twelve year appointments. That's right. You know, that's right. The difference, though, and I'm not disrespecting anyone at all. We found illnesses like cancer. People really acknowledged them. Yeah, we had this child who was starving herself to death, and people sort of. Mm. brush it aside do you know what I mean like if mm. you can't and if you don't understand something or something hasn't affected you people are really ignorant to it still I yeah I feel do you think yeah. that's a an educational thing in the in the system where it's just not I mean, no one really knows what to do or yeah potentially yeah definitely um but we don't have a reason. We don't have an excuse not to be educated anymore. Exactly. Like we have everything at our fingertips. Yep. There's no, yep. I don't believe there's, you know, people say, oh, are they an old person that's saying it all? You know, we don't have an excuse for ignorance. Mm -hmm. We, we can agree. educate ourselves on everything. I guess where my frustration is, and again, you know, I reiterate, I, I have no, had no exposure to, to eating disorders, but where I'm disappointed is in that space of lack of help. It was like you were triaged almost that, yep, she was at that point, but until she got to that point, the waiting time was this long mm. Mm. and that got shorter, mm. I guess, once, yeah, she had that attempt. And that's where I'm frustrated. And I did have a chat to someone at length where they lost a child to suicide and we're talking about four years ago and it doesn't seem like much has changed. Mm. Well, actually, it was longer than that and it doesn't seem like there's there's much that's changed. That's yeah, which sad. is – that is sad. How many, you know, how many children are, are not making it? Mm. But do you, do you reckon that's – do you reckon that's a generalisation as well, like in any mental health – in that mental health space, that, that until you're bad enough, until you tell someone you have suicidal thoughts, until you do start self-harming or that, you know, everyone is in a similar boat to that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not till you go over that line that 
you know, shit gets real. Yeah, which and, is, yeah, it's bizarre because everything shows with mental health, the earlier the intervention, the mm. better. Yeah. So, and recovery from eating disorders, the earlier the intervention, the higher the chance yep. the child won't commit suicide yep. or, and will fully recover from. Yep. yep. From an it's like disorder. we're very reactive and, you know, I'm sure it's more complicated than that and I'm sure it comes down to to resources and, and, and funding and, and all of that, but um, it just seems like there's a common theme there until it's bad enough. We, we just, we react, we react. Oh, yeah. there, there isn't a lot of proactiveness that goes on when yeah. a mother presents with issues and... Maybe it, uh, the resource overworked too, yeah. mu too much. There's just simply too yep. much of it yep. to deal with, Yep, which is a shame. Absolutely. Mm. I think we've definitely gotten better. Yep. But I think there's such negative connotations with mental illness. Look how people even in the 80s were treated with a mental illness. Mm. So why are people, you know, people were lab labelled mad. They were locked up. Mm. It's not. Yeah, it's when you compare yeah. it like that, so we, we've we come have a long improved, way. Yes. But definitely still a long way to go. Yep. But how do you do that? Mm. Mm. I think the general public have generally gotten better because, you know, like you, you very rightly said before, we, we should be educated. There's not a lot of reason why we can't. We have everything at our fingertips. So I think the general people have gotten better, but maybe the resources haven't grown mm. to the levels that these problems are growing. So Geordie is in recovery now, mm -hmm. and that's you've just given a big smile, <laughs> as you would. How is life for her now? Because, you know... I, I won't even try to guess. You tell us. Yeah, no, she's doing really well. And she moved out of home and down to Torquay in February. She was meant to start uni last year, but she knew she wasn't well enough to go. So she stayed home for another 12 months. But now she's gone. And wow. Loves it down there. So. Wow, that's a big, big mm -hmm. step, isn't oh, it? Oh, look, we. In January 2021, I sat in a doctor's office and they told me my child wasn't going to live until she was 18 to look at her now and know that she is out living her life. It, it's amazing. Mm, I awesome. just, yeah, it's so great. She's just so, she's so brave and so determined and such a strong, strong person. Oh, that's okay. incredible. You look super happy, but also a little bit emotional as well. Oh. Yeah. How, um, are you, how are you dealing with, considering the circumstances, not being able to be close if something did Yeah, and happen? she has and always has had an amazing group of friends um, and I have a great relationship with her friends that I know – if she started to go backwards, I know they would contact me. Mm. When she was going through her anorexia and, you know, if there were weeks that she lost weight and we had to, she wasn't allowed to go anywhere. She wasn't allowed to have any privileges. So it was like a motivating factor for Geordie was she had to get better because she didn't want to miss out on anything. 
So if she went out for lunch with her boyfriend and stuff or her friends, they would send me pictures of what she'd eaten to check that it was enough and things like that. She's got a wonderful, wonderful group of friends. Mm. We're really, we're really lucky that her friends were brilliant. Her teachers at school were brilliant. Her GP was brilliant. We were, we were lucky. But Best, yeah. her, it's so bittersweet, her leaving, because I am so proud of her that she has, she's managed to get herself where she is. But mm. I had Geordie really young, so she grew up beside me. It's just, it's just different, her not being there. Yeah. <laughs> As any parent, yeah, once you've, they fly the coop for whatever reasons, that's, that's tough anyways, but let alone just knowing what Geordie went through not so long ago just adds that little bit of, um, Anxiety, I yeah. guess, but yeah, that that's an incredible move. What is she studying? Just psychology. Oh, good <laughs> on her! I was hoping you'd say that. Mm. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, we do. We do have a great laugh about that. That's we, so good. That's probably one of the ways we we got through everything. Is we have terribly dark sense of humour, all of us, and we <laughs> laughed a lot and. Made inappropriate jokes about things, but I was gonna I was gonna ask that question earlier. What what were the did the kids make um, a little bit light of the situation at the dinner table, considering what you were dealing with with your husband? Did the kids yeah throw in some humour, which yeah, so we, weirdly <laughs> lifted a situation <laughs> like it's yes, we did, and like little Lexi, she'd be telling Geordie, and she's six at the time, so she'd be telling Geordie that if you don't eat your dinner, you've got to go to the hospital and you've got to get one of those tubes up your nose again mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, it would just, I think um, her little sisters played a big part in her recovery as well. Mm. So, and they look up to her I'm so trying much. Trying to be a role model, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, you know, we're, we're all about, you know, giving some tips and tricks to to listeners, what what was some key things that that you saw? You know that mother's instinct you knew before anybody. Well, what were some things? I know Geordie's is a little bit um, unique in the fact that she had that bowel diagnosis and things like that. But were there any other things that you noticed? Whether it was behavioural or is yeah, there, is there anything? So she was she become really secretive which was odd for us because we're just not like that. I've tried to always be as honest with them as possible. So when we got to the teenage years, I would get that back. Yeah. Um, She spent a lot of time in her her room, which probably isn't a trigger point for lots of parents because all teenagers sit in their rooms on their phones and stuff. Yeah. She was obsessed with taking pictures of herself. Again, mm. probably not a massive. Yeah, they're tricky these days. They are aren't really they? tricky because they're yeah. quite common. Yeah. And I knew how much she loved food. So when she stopped eating as yeah. much as she was, or she was exercising a lot, which she doesn't really like exercise. She's not, you know, she did a lot of dance and hockey and netball and stuff when she was younger. But she hasn't done any of that since she was diagnosed with the bowel disease. So when she started exercising and then I probably didn't know the full extent of it until I found all her diaries where she'd meticulously had everything documented of 
she'd be sitting in her room and she would just, you know, do sit up after sit up or push up or she was just exercising in her room. So I think I think it's important to be vigilant without being a helicopter yeah. parent. Mm. Yeah. And and they are tricky depending on an age, because I, I don't I'm not suggesting that eating disorders start at an age, but Typically, typically around 15. And and yeah. a lot of those behaviours are very typical. Yeah. Mm. But I think we I think just because they get to a certain age, I I think we should still check on them. Like mm. I feel she was my 17-year-old, but I was still checking on her. For I'd sure. still go in and say goodnight to that. Even now, I still mm. sure. <laughs> text her goodnight, you know. Yep. They're just. Yeah, of course. That's just a parent. That's yeah. been a parent, I think, too. Absolutely. Terry ann for all the dads out there with young girls, how's your husband going now and how how is he throughout the obviously trying to be supportive for you and, and deal with, you know, we're all human, we all yeah. struggle. How was he and what were what were his mechanisms to to deal with life, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be I, – I couldn't have got through the last three years without him. Mm. And I'd do the hard work during the day while he, he was at work. But every night when I'd get in bed and cry, he was always there to be my rock. Mm. So, you know, I was there holding the kids up, but he was there holding me up. Mm. Um I think we forget about dads a bit. I don't know if anyone ever asked Simon how he was. Mm. But um, yeah, it makes me a bit emotional. Yeah. Mm. Like I know, I, know, I know how I sometimes things happen to my daughters that's not even a speck of sand in context of what you've been through and that eats me alive, you know. So I know how protective us dads are of, of our daughters. Yeah. So. yeah, so he um, – and he has – Simon has – we both have a great bunch of friends mm. um, that checked in on us and, yeah. and things like that. He has brilliant mates that he's been to school with and all the rest of it. So, yeah. yeah. It's probably a good reminder, Dave, that, yeah, we need to be checking up on not just mum. Yeah, don't forget dad. dads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget no, dads. and it is – we do do it. It's too easy to do. Yeah. I mean, a mum is the default. In, sorry, that's a generalisation. In most cases, mums mm. are the default carer. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect a dad, though. Mm. No, that's right. You know, a dad, a husband is a wife's support. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So. And whichever way it looks, you know, whether it's not the typical mum and dad, you know, the child may have to... Two dads, two mums, however it looks, it's, it's a timely reminder to check in on all, not just possibly the first at call, the one that's at home more or the one yeah. typically doing all the um, the hard yards during the day, as you, you put it. So, mm. yeah, good on you, Dave. Any advice? Any advice to families that may be in this situation or a similar situation? Advice in general to yep. anyone, I think, would be around the language that you use mm -hmm. and 
from when you're really, from when kids are young. George has said to me how we would always, as a family, point out, and my extended family and stuff, point out how little she was and things like that. And, or we had a nickname for her that was Fat Faye or things like that. So things, and that comes from a, just a ridiculous story, but things that have actually, they've stuck in her mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, language is really important. And I know that sometimes I'm guilty of it saying in front of the kids and still now when I'm getting ready about, oh, how do I look in this? Do I look Mm -hmm. fat in this or something like that? Like kids are picking up on those things. So I think we really try to focus on how strong your body is and what it does for you and things like that rather than, I mean, why do we have to focus on how someone looks anyway? But exactly that's, that, that's going to happen. That's yeah. So we just focus on what your body can do for you and how strong you are. But language is so, so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and incidentally, like you say, you know, we all do it. We put something on and we say, how do I look? Does my bum look big? Do yeah, I look, my, what, yeah. my wife is constantly at me like can you stop doing sit-ups and crunches and shit all the time in front of the kids like yeah i know you're healthy and want to look good but are we setting the right Mm. you know yeah that's right such a fine line you must do this all the time to try and be happy or be content or confident Mm -hmm. or you know it's just and you don't realize it's true dave and i mean terry ann correct me if i'm wrong it's not always language it's it's what we do because mm. kids copy yeah you know so like you're saying my, dave, my daughters know i don't eat until two o'clock every day why don't you have breakfast dad why don't you do this yeah. dad? It's like, you know how do i tell them that i fast myself yeah <laughs> like it's yeah it's yeah. cooked <laughs> yeah you know it's and i'm like yes but you know we all have our Oh, of course. Our own jam, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I think behaviours and um, or actions and words, it's fantastic advice. Mm. Now, as you know, we ask a few questions just to lighten the load. Did I know this, though? At the end. Yeah. Of course you do. <laughs> You just don't know what the questions are, but we haven't changed it. <laughs> so very lighthearted here, Terry ann Are you a camper or a five-starer? Five star. Yeah. <laughs> Pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Yes. Early riser or a night owl? Early riser. Beach or snowfields? Beach. And are you lager or a craft beer? I don't or drink. Neither? Oh, you don't drink. <laughs> there you go. That was easy. But it wouldn't be either of them. It'd be gin. <laughs> gin. Yeah. So if you could write a sentence on your tombstone, um, what could we put on your tombstone in 60, 70 <laughs> years' time? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a, a bit on the spot. One. It's super, a bit on the spot. Superwoman. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. Superman. I don't I don't think that I'm brave for anything that I've done or a super person because of it. It's just it is what it is. It's what I you think, do. I think well, you've spoken to a lot of people with the podcast and every time you're probably like, How does this person get through that? But mm. People just, you just deal with what's thrown your way, whether, yeah, I you don't know. do, yeah, 100%. I agree, which makes you all brave. Maybe something about being a fighter then, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> not a, a bad way. You know, a fighter. Not, yeah. yeah love it. 
thing about that. But no, honestly, thank you to you. Um, and firstly, Geordie, for mm. obviously allowing you to come on and, and talk about her story and, and your family's journey. I think that's so brave of her. And and who knows, one day down the track, we might get her on. Yeah, if Geordie, if you are listening to this, we'd love to. <laughs> yeah. um, we'd love to. Have you sitting where your mum is right now? Yeah, that'd be, absolutely. That'd be super. Even if it is as a psychologist once she's qualified <laughs> yes. or, or prior. Maybe she can help me. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a long list. Yeah. People, people she can Starting help. with your yeah. family. <laughs> exactly. We do say Starting that all with the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, payback. <laughs> but no, we we thank her first and foremost because it's it's her story um, that you're a part of. But thank you and and your family and, and thank you for being brave enough to share mm. all in hope to help others yeah. and, and that's all we, we're about, I guess. So well done to you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Terri-Ann. <laughs>